Marry someone who has embraced the only good reason to get married, someone who will commit to dying alongside you, not in 50 years, but daily as they surrender their ego with you. Someone who will be more faithful to you than they are to their own safety. Someone willing to embrace the beauty of sacrifice, the yielding of their strength, and the peril of vulnerability. Someone willing to thread their dreams and passions into yours and weave together the fabric of a life with as few regrets as you can manage. In other words, someone who wants to spend their one life stepping into a crazy, dangerous love with you and only you. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Be You. I'm so happy you're here. And if you're someone who lives in the United States and you celebrate Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day, which would be tomorrow. If you're someone who rebels against this commercial, overdone, contrived holiday, I'm right there with you. Although lately, I've been warming myself up to the idea that maybe I'll decide to like Valentine's Day. I don't like being told what to do. So when someone tells me to like show love and celebrate love because they said so, I want to do the opposite. But in honor of Valentine's Day, I have my sweet husband, TK, on the show for the very first time. Those of you all over the world who don't celebrate Valentine's Day, this is a great episode for relationships in general. We plan to do... I just said to him, we should do a series. Like we're going to do some other episodes on how we have successfully blended a family, each of our experiences going through divorce and remarrying. Both of us are entrepreneurs. Like there's a lot. I think we could have our own show together, TK. I'm excited to be on. It's the first time I've seen the behind the scenes. I know. So what you may not know is that my husband actually helped me with the first three episodes. He did all the editing himself because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And he totally is gets all the credit for doing everything that needed to be done behind the scenes in the first three episodes two and a half years ago. So after two and a half years, you're finally on here. Welcome to be you, TK. Thank, yeah, usually I'm being shooed out of the room saying, let me do my thing. Yeah. So this is great. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I wanted to do today is talk about relationships, but from the vantage point of, well, the title gave it away, but what we can do individually to make our relationships the dream relationship. Like you want to know how to make your partner amazing, make yourself amazing. And once you make yourself amazing and you realize you're amazing and you do all the stuff on yourself and through yourself and in and on yourself, you will realize either they're the wrong person for you or they were the right person the whole time, but you were looking through a lens of your own stuff. So. We made a little list, each of us, of what we did individually to make our relationship an amazing relationship and necessarily did not start day one. But what did we do? So do you want to go through where I list mine first and then you list yours or do you want to go back and forth? Let's go back and forth. Yeah. Okay. We'll go back and forth. Okay. So my first I listed, it's kind of obvious, but deciding to really, really look at myself, but vulnerably, because I was someone who was a personal development junkie and did a ton of mindset work. And I even like coached that and taught that and kind of bragged about that. And I had started looking at all that way before my husband had. And so I was kind of arrogant, but he would say things to me that my kids would say, and I hated it, but they would say things like, 
yeah, you say all that in business and you teach and preach all that, but you're not really like that at home. And I hated it when you would say that because it was true. And so when I started really looking at myself vulnerably, when I say vulnerably, I mean like the parts of myself that I hid, the parts of myself I didn't want to face, the parts of myself that I was ashamed about, the parts of myself that I thought maybe there there was something there, but I didn't know what. I didn't want to look behind the cover or under the covers or under the hood. I started looking at those parts with the help of a very successful and accomplished coach. So I would say, number one, looking at myself, but a vulnerable, real and raw, painful look at myself. And within that, um, I discovered something that I never, ever knew was there. Many things. But the biggest thing was discovering that I had a lot of resentment towards you. I remember my coach saying, that's because you have so much resentment. I was like, what are you talking about? I have no resentment. And he was like, yeah, you do. And I had to find it. And so if you're listening, you may have resentment towards your partner and not even know it, but it leaks out and it comes out in many, many ways that you're probably not realizing are actually linked to unseen resentment. So that would be my first one. What, what would you say about you? Yeah, I, I would say before I, I list my items that I think we're, we'll talk about more about this and more about our marriage and so forth, but the the fact that when we came together and got married, you know, one of the biggest things I would say that I learned was that when you come together in a relationship and you've got a solid foundation, it, it creates the environment to bring all the stuff up mm-hmm. individually. And I didn't know any of that, you know, coming into to our marriage. And so my first one, honestly, and we didn't we didn't share this ahead of time, but my first one was the same thing as yours, which was really being able to look in the mirror in a really uh, honest and vulnerable way. You know, when we first got married, we did a, a personal development course, and it was it was fairly intense for me. It was life changing because I'd never, you know, I'd never looked at myself and looked in the mirror in a truly honest way. And you know, I can remember a point in that course where it's it's too long of a story, but you did something significant. Go ahead and tell them. It's okay. It's not too long of a story. I think they'll love it. Yeah. So uh, it was actually deep into the course. I think we were probably 75% of the way through. And this wasn't a weekend course, guys. This was like over the course of what, it three was tw- months? 22 days over the course of four months. And, to be exact. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there was an exercise that we were doing. It was very experiential. And there was an exercise that we were doing where each individual in the course had to stand in a chair and uh, and the other participants in the course stood in a straight line in front of them. And you had to vote. The people standing in the line had to vote whether or not the person on the chair was in contribution uh, to the group or whether they were the opposite of that. And here I was thinking that I was sort of winning and playing a game throughout the course. And I was trying to show up in a way that, you know, I was, again, being in contribution. And everyone stepped out of line in, in that experience, including you. And I know that that was very difficult for you to to be that real and that honest with me. And for me personally, it was a big moment for me to see my wife, who was my best friend, you know, my soulmate, twin flame, all that, being real and honest with me. And that, that really forced me to kind of go, okay, hang on a second. You know, I've got to take a deeper look at myself. Can we just um, yeah. talk about the fact that you just used the term twin flame? I have never heard you say twin flame. You guys look, I'm getting him to be so crunchy and woo-woo. I love it. I don't know that we're exactly twin flames. There's a difference between that and soulmate, I think. But either way, I love it. I will take it. Yeah, that was really hard. So we were standing in that room and I could see, just like he could see things about me that I couldn't see, right? We all have blind spots. I could see that he was not in contribution and that and honestly not liked. Like we were in this personal development course with maybe what you think 10 people total? Yeah. Something like that. And I love my husband and he is so likable. He really is. That's one reason I married him. That he's just that that people like him. He's a nice guy, a good guy, a solid guy. But in that course, he was a dick. Sorry, honey. But nobody liked him. And I didn't know how to tell him that. But it's because he wasn't being himself. He had this whole facade up. And he also thought he was kind of, don't you think you thought you were kind of too good for it? Like you just weren't, I know a minute ago you said you were trying to like really contribute, but I remember before you telling me that you just, until that clicked at that point, you really just didn't give it. You weren't trying. Well, I would say that I was trying to, I I was playing a game 
You know, it was all subconscious like and trying to win mean? almost oh, okay. in a way. And you made a good point a second ago too, that, you know, for the better part of my life, especially on the personal side of things, I was a master at putting a facade mm. up, you know, so I might've had accomplishments maybe in the business world, but from a personal perspective, I was just very good at painting the picture that I wanted people to see mm-hmm. as opposed to being willing to be really vulnerable and put myself out there and sort of show my weaknesses. Yeah, I love that you said that. And and let's just be clear, that's pretty much 99% of people. Thank you for being willing to admit that. But most people don't even see that about themselves. But yeah, you were like that. And a lot of us were. We're kind of on a bunny trail, but I think it's interesting to talk about in that course. I think that the way that you didn't realize you showed up as well was that, you know, you had so much success in business. And I would say even in life, you had great friends, your kids were great. We had a great relationship. You were financially good. And so we were in this group of people and there were some people in there where their lives were not working. And they were in that course because they felt like they needed it. And you and I didn't really need it. And so it almost felt like like I was becoming close with these people and really bonding with them. And you were like, I'm never going to see these guys again. Why I'm not going to like get close at all. I would totally agree with that. I think that that's, it was really, it's funny you say that, that we didn't really need it. I, I would say that I probably, maybe again, this is all subconscious thought that I didn't need it, but the truth was for me, it was a pivotal moment in my life. I absolutely needed it. And, you know, it just, it caused me to, I, I, I tell the story a lot and I'm not proud of it by any stretch, but the way that I used to show up was if I met you at a party, I would have a conversation with you. But what you didn't realize is that I'm sizing you up. I'm trying to figure out what the payoff is for me to have a relationship with you. And relationship being, you know, just friendship, whatever it is. And if I couldn't figure that out in a short period of time, again, you wouldn't know this because I was, I was very nice and, and, uh, and have good people skills, et cetera. But I would, I would be looking over your shoulder for the next conversation. Mm-hmm. I knew that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is why I didn't want to date him. This is why we were not married at the time. Yeah. And so uh, I think that that, that this whole experience really set me on a path of of really again just looking inward at myself which has then caused me to show up in a very different way in relationships going forward just a blanket statement oh yeah i mean so i'm laughing because we have this little list here uh each of us and i said let's do a podcast where you know it's just brief tangible takeaways that people can listen to this and go hey yeah maybe i should do that and as we're talking i realize we do need to do more episodes together cuz we have a lot to give and a lot to share we have built an amazing relationship and marriage and family and we've gone through a lot of shit and we have looked at ourselves and done a lot of work that was not fun and that's why we have the relationship that we have totally agree you're so cute <laughs> Let's make out. (laughs) Okay. So number one, we kind of have the same one, right? Yes. Looking at ourselves. Number two for me was, again, and I have to, you know, if you're a listener, you've heard this many times. You've heard what my husband said. You've heard it out of my mouth many times. When you're in a solid relationship, your shit's going to hit the fan. And that's actually a good thing because it is meant to come up and come out and be healed. The other thing that you have heard me say that I'm going to say again is that it's all about nervous system, not like staying regulated all the time, but understanding how much in control your nervous system really is and what it means to to work with your nervous system, learn what it feels like to be dysregulated. Are you in fight or flight? Are you in freeze or fawn? What are the signs of that? How can you regulate yourself from one of those spots and build what's called your window of tolerance? So when I learned about building the window of tolerance, it took a probably a year and a half of work and I have so far to go. But I know TK, you've said, you've said in your own terms that you've seen this in me. I don't get triggered as easily. I can regulate myself back to normal faster. Um, I had such a dysregulated nervous system from childhood and I didn't know that until I started working with our marriage coach who is highly trained in somatics and uh, trauma informed, et cetera. And so my number two, that's a long way of saying is recognizing what a window of tolerance is, building my window of tolerance, 
and doing somatic work, which is just body work, instead of just learning about it. Because I had been a master, I'm really, really good at learning things and then teaching. That's one of my gifts. That's why I have a successful podcast. I like teaching things that I've learned, but I was hiding behind that for a long time with the mindset stuff. You can't hide from body work. You can learn about it and tell people about it, but unless you do the actual work in your own body, you're never going to get real change. So you can say, you know, let me explain to you what trauma is that lives in your body. I've read these books, blah, blah, blah. But if you're not really doing anger release and you're not really doing breath work and you're not really learning how to move stuck energy, pain, trauma, memories, experiences, energy, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same, out of your body where it's stored through three things, sound, breath, or movement. If we don't really do that, we never get lasting change. We just act like we've changed and we talk about it. But you can't you can't run and hide from real body work. So I would say number two, the biggest gift to myself, our kids and our marriage was me doing that and continuing to do that. And I don't do it as much as I want to. I don't like doing it. If I did that every single day as a practice and I had for the last two years, I'd be far ahead of where I am right now. I mean, I just lost my shit a couple of weeks ago on one of our kids over something that most parents would have been highly triggered over. But I found, saw myself just becoming so dysregulated, but I was able to pull myself back really quickly and I recovered like that. I really need to acknowledge the effort and the time and the commitment that you've put into this kind of work. You know, it's one thing to read about it, to learn about it to even study it, it's a whole other thing to actually put it into practice. It's been an inspiration to me, and I think it's important for the listeners to know the amount of work that you've actually put into this. I mean, you take it very, very, very seriously. And honestly, that's caused a tremendous change in you, you know, that I've seen. It's hard to put into words the the changes that I've seen in you from that perspective that I know is a direct result of of your commitment to this type of work. It used to be in the very beginning of our of our marriage, you would have a hair trigger temper and you know just the, the smallest thing would set you off. And there are still times like you just mentioned where you get dysregulated, but it's it's so different today than it was seven or eight years ago. And it's a direct result of the amount of work that you've done on yourself. So I appreciate that very, very much. And it's had a huge impact on uh, obviously you personally, but not only you personally, but our marriage and I think our kids also. Mm-hmm. And being able to share that kind of like intimate experience with our children also and being able to show them, you know, what it actually means to do this kind of work. It's just great to see. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for for them because, you know, you and I didn't grow up having anybody sort of be the example for us when it comes to this kind of work. And it's this kind of stuff that's that's truly life-changing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, sure. I told you today, one of our kids is in graduate school becoming a therapist. And I've been talking to her for two years now about the difference between therapy, which therapy is great, but the difference between therapy, talk therapy, and somatic work. And she's just starting to get it. And she put something on Instagram that was saying exactly that. It was a TikTok. And there were people, I don't know if they were psychologists or what, but they were saying, hey, just so you know, therapy is great, but it will never, ever, ever regulate your nervous system. Like, And I was so happy that she gets that. And you know, we have another kid who's working with therapists who's also a somatic healer. And um, anyway, yeah, yeah I think thank it's, you for that. Yeah. Number two on my list is... Um, Basically, the realization that if you never changed anything, that I have it within me to change everything. And this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with because the the mindset often can be, well, if they just changed this, if they just didn't do this. You know, for me, I realized early on in, in the work that we've done that, and I used to tell you this too, that you don't have to change anything. I recognize that if you don't change anything whatsoever, that I absolutely have it within me to change everything about our relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and by that I mean, you know, uh, for example, if you never did any of the work that you've done, 
I have the ability within me to change how I respond, how I look at things, how things maybe emotionally affect me, you know, how I get those emotions and so forth out of my body. Me doing that kind of work could change everything in our relationship. And I think one of the best examples was at a friend uh, that went through the same course that we did eight years ago. And he was honestly struggling a bit uh, after he finished the course because he really wanted his wife to do the course also. And she was very resistant to it. And it didn't seem like she was ever going to do it. And I had this exact conversation with him. And I said, you know, well, obviously, do you love her? Yes. Do you, do you think she's a great mom? Yes. And we kind of went through all the characteristics of why he's married to her and why he wants to stay married to her. And everything was yes, 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 yes. And I said, you know, you have to recognize that, yes, it would be nice for her to do this course or this work also, but you have the ability to to affect those changes within her. It might take you longer, right? It might take a little more work on your end and it might not happen overnight. But by the way that you show up every single day in your house and how you relate to her can have those changes on her without her having to do the course. And so I, I believe that to be true, that if you're coming up against you know resistance, if you want your spouse to do something, I think to me, you know, you first understanding that you have the power within you, not only to change yourself, but by changing yourself and really working on yourself is going to have a profound impact on your your partner, your family, your environment, your coworkers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing we've talked about on this show is that when you do that, you also will completely see them differently and receive them differently. And you'll say, wait a minute, maybe they're not annoying. Maybe they didn't need to change that. Maybe that was my shit being projected out mm-hmm. at them. At the same time, a, a disclaimer is if you are in a relationship and the partner is abusive in any way, none of this applies, right? right it doesn't yeah. matter how much you work on yourself and how much you change, they're still abusive and you need to, you deserve to leave. Um, okay, that was really good. Number three, uh, this is something that's so hard for me. I've done episodes about how I'm a control freak, but I haven't done episodes about how c- critical I am. I'm hypercritical, hyper controlling. That's like my autopilot. All of that obviously comes from fear and it comes from a dysregulated nervous system. It comes from trauma, all of it, but it doesn't give you an excuse to keep being that way. Like I, I'm still so critical. Like, like I criticize my husband, like in my head. Like, why does he do things like that? Why does he do that? It's so annoying to me. You like, know? like me eating chips too loud. Yeah. Okay. That's a whole different thing. Okay. <laughs> hold on a minute. So when any person is eating next to me, unless it's my adorable grandchild, even if it's my, like one of my kids, I literally cannot stand. If I have to, if I hear the, that in your mouth, even if you're not smacking your lips, I can't handle it. And if, the person eats with their mouth open, which my husband doesn't, thank God. We probably wouldn't be married if you did. Or they smack their lips. It's game over for me. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's one of them because I don't think my that's critical. My throat clearing? I, yes. That's another one. <laughs> I'm critical, but he also is constantly clearing his throat. He's talking to me. <clears throat> so anyway. <clears throat> so yeah, anyway. So I was going to the store and, <clears throat> and, and I'm so distracted by the clearing of the throat so, you know, I don't think those, those actually <laughs> being critical. So, yes, I'm super critical and controlling, but I recognize it. So, the controlling part has gone down a lot. It's still difficult for me because why do we want to control things? Because we don't feel in control. If I can control someone else, it has everything to do with me and not with them, by the way. Um, so I get that, but I'm the reason it's my number three. You might go, why is it even on this list if you're still doing it? Because I do it way less, and because I'm looking at it and I'm continuing to work on that. You can say if you agree or not, but I still feel like I'm very critical, but not like I used to be, and I feel like I'm way less controlling than I used to be. I mean, I was way more controlling of everybody, our kids, you, everybody in my life. Yeah, I would agree that. I mean. I think you again in all these areas you've made huge strides forward. It's probably a default nature of you, so you fall back into it without realizing it. But you're also very open to if I make a comment about it, or instead of me, if if I see you being controlling in a way with one of the kids who are all adults at this point, if I say something to you, you're much much more open to pausing and reflecting 
and kind of looking at yourself in that in that particular scenario. Whereas in the in the past, you have gotten defensive quicker. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, here's what's interesting about that. It's typical of people who are highly critical and they don't like being criticized. So I was highly critical of you and everybody else. But anytime you would say anything to me, I thought I was being criticized. And it, it, I felt very offended. Don't you agree? Yeah, you know, it, and not something I thought about talking about, but here's something that's interesting is that I noticed this early on in our relationship too. The closer that you are to you, like me, mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. the more it would bother you if I would say something back. If you recall the the uh, oh, the business coach that I used to have, uh, yeah. you know, and he would be critical of you and used to bother me because he would be critical of you. And I would, from my perspective, say almost the exact same thing. And I'm like, why is it okay for Paul to say that to you? But if I simply point this out, like Paul pointed something out, you know, you'd get very upset. I don't think he actually ever pointed anything out. I think he used that as an example. If someone like Paul said this, it'd be fine because he never criticized me. But but our coach, Steph, Mm -hmm. Steph can say anything to me. Okay. I mean, <laughs> he's he's not difficult to look at. Let's just say, you know, he's got his his Australian accent and he's Greek, and everybody knows Steph Stefanos, right? So that might be a joke that oh, he can say anything. That actually has nothing to do with it for me. Steph and Christine and Sigrid and the people who have coached me can say anything to me, and it might sound mean to someone else. And even if I'm like, oh, I welcome it because I know that they are right and that it, that their heart is in the right place and they're trying to help me. My husband could say the same thing and I'm like crushed. Like, I cannot believe you just said that to me. It, I take it personally and it, it it just feels very different from me than if a coach would say it. Do you think, I'm curious, do you think that part of that though is because we know each other so well and that if I say something that you know sort of all my secrets and all my shortcomings and then it triggers this but you're you're being hypocritical because that that's how i know mm, that my, that, mm-hmm. that when you give me feedback on things that's that's an easy thing for me to go to because i'm i'm like that's great for you to say that but you don't do that does that make sense mm-hmm. it might be part of it what i'm feeling right now is that it's more of like i love you and so it doesn't feel good for you to say it but i don't love stuff I don't love Sigrid. Like I appreciate them and I have love for them, but they're not my partner. Right. Yeah. So number three is a little iffy for me, we're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm less controlling and less less critical. So if you're listening, if if you could work on being less controlling and less critical, your marriage is going to be better. But even recognizing if you do it. So many people, they don't know they do it and they don't know where it comes from. Like I used to say to you, I know I'm critical. I'm not stupid. But I never thought about why am I so critical? You and I used to say it was because my mom was critical. Well, yeah, but it's deeper than that. I was critical of other people because of my own insecurities. I was projecting all of my stuff. And the more I focus on you, the less I have to focus on myself. That's good. Thank you. Very insightful. Thank you. Uh, my number three was understanding trauma and how it affects people. This was really something that kind of came to light. So some backstory, and I think, I think you've probably shared this before in our relationship. So when we, when we first came together and we're going to get married, one of the commitments that we made that was that we were going to go see a therapist, a counselor, whatever you want to call them, um, on a regular basis. And That's uh, an example of me being critical. Sorry to interrupt you. One, I interrupt and I tell him never to interrupt me. And two is whenever he says counselor, Instead of a psychologist or therapist, I always correct him. He always uses the word counselor because his mom uses the word counselor. That's where it came from. (laughs) And every time he says counselor, I'm like, hey, they're not a counselor. They have a PhD and they're a therapist. Like, who cares? But there's an example of how I'm super critical. You didn't have to interrupt me and correct me. Sorry about that. Go ahead. (laughs) But uh, that was one of the commitments we made was that we would go see this person um, on a regular basis and regular could mean once a week. It could mean once a quarter, just depending on where things were. But the point was, was that at any point in time, you know, if things, obviously relationships and marriages 
go up and down and they kind of ebb and flow through great times and difficult times. And the point being, if we're at, at the height, everything is awesome. It can always be just that much better. And if we're in a trough, then going to see this person is going to help us kind of work our way mm-hmm. through that. Uh, but it was in one of those sessions where Vic was the individual you were seeing at the time. Uh, brought up the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And he actually had recommended that, that you read the book just to get some insight on on trauma in your childhood and how that might affect your feelings. And I remember, I, I think in that session, I actually pulled my phone out and I downloaded the audiobook and I hijacked it. So I started listening to it right away. And it was it was pivotal for me because it really helped me understand how trauma affects people and how if the person doesn't get the trauma out of their body, it gets stored away in their body. And those emotions will come up and present themselves at at various times in their life. And it could be decades down the road. And, and they, they come up because something triggered them that's not even related to the incident. And, and to me, that really helped significantly because I would see you react in a certain way to a certain situation. It could be something that I did, it could be something that the kids did, it didn't matter. And one of my sort of narcissistic tendencies was to go, that makes no sense to me. Why would you react that way? That's ridiculous. Uh, as opposed to me sitting back and going, okay, where, you know, this comes from somewhere, where does it come from? And maybe it's not even me or the thing that I did, right? That's causing the type of reaction that, that I'm getting from you. Maybe it, maybe whatever I did or whatever one of the kids did triggered something that's bringing up an emotion from the past. And I know you've talked a lot about that on your podcast, but that was enlightening to me because I had never really dug into things and understood the connection, mm-hmm. you know, between those two things. And um, one of the best examples that that I can give, and, if I can, and we can edit this out if you don't want to share this, but um, was... Uh, I think I've shared it already. I know, I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it was several years ago. It's a long story, but one of our kids had called us, our daughter had called us and asked if we wanted to meet her and her boyfriend to go bowling. And uh, she had never called and asked a question like that before. And so I wanted to go. Um, and you had just committed to sitting and watching a movie with me. Yeah, we were going to do something, yes. And and you didn't want to go. And so I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I'm like, well, I'm going to be gone for like 90 minutes. Let's just go. I don't. You didn't want to go. That's fine. And I said, well, that's fine if you don't want to go, but I would like to go. I'm I'm going to go. And um, as I stood up to go like put my shoes on or change my clothes or whatever, you got really upset. And I remember at the time thinking, it didn't click in my mind, but I'm like, wow, the reaction that, that you're experiencing does not fit the scenario that we're going through right now. And it was really after uh, we actually went to to our counselor, our therapist, sorry. He's a people pleaser. Um, you don't have to apologize to me we went for to, criticizing we went, we went, you. The next session we went to the therapist. We, we actually talked about that. And he was talking about, I think he walked you through um, some, some childhood. I did EMDR. Yeah, no, I did EMDR. Yeah, childhood scenario where uh, there were some abandonment issues came up. And it was interesting. It was just fascinating to me to see how a tie-in like that, you know, th- this this act of me standing up would trigger abandonment feelings in you, mm-hmm. which would cause a reaction, which would then cause me to go, that doesn't make sense. And what I was a master at in our relationship in the beginning and probably up until, I mean, not yesterday, too long ago, <laughs> was <laughs> I was kidding. very good at putting gasoline on the fire. Oh, yeah. You were. <laughs> and so I not was not good say, when you're already an explosive person. So so if you were, you know, dysregulated in your emotions and I would look at you and go, What's wrong with you? Whatever I would say, it did not help. <laughs> and so I had to or, learn Or the other thing you would do is you wouldn't just say, God, what's wrong with you? I wouldn't say that's gasoline. The times you would do gasoline is when you would say things like, Oh, there she is. There it goes. Here we go. Oh, now she's yelling. Hmm. <laughs> that, those aren't proud moments. For, I don't want to share all those. Hey, you're closing my shit. <laughs> no, but uh, that's one of the things that I learned on my end to let you express those feelings and let those come out and realize they might not be a direct reflection on me. It's a processing procedure. Yeah. And side note, though, let's go back to me. It was my responsibility, though, because if you're hearing this and you're like, well, I want my husband to be like that. I love so much that my husband just said, you know, when Jill was acting that way and having that type of reaction, I realized that it comes from trauma. But it also is then my responsibility to be an adult and figure my shit out to not do that because you can't explode on your partner like that. 
it's not okay. And so I had to do the work that I needed to do so that I don't react that way. So you, you having the patience and being loving enough to say, okay, this is not her. This is her trauma. That's awesome. But what if I was doing that still today? You'd be like, okay, enough. So it's, it's my responsibility to clean that up, which is what I did. So let's go back to that example, just because it's not super connected to our topic, but I think it's so interesting. So I went to our therapist and I said, Hey, I want to do some EMDR around something that just happened. And I told him what happened. Now, for the record, whether our daughter calls often or not asking for us to do something, I personally believe that if you make a commitment, because you were never good at keeping your word, would you agree? Mm -hmm. So he promised me that he'd sit and spend time with me. And I was excited to to watch the specific movie with him because it was the movie about like the circus and the Hugh Jackman. Yeah. So that was a very significant movie. I knew some of the meaning behind it and I was really excited to watch this with him. And so we literally sat down ready to go to watch it. And she called and said, Hey, do you guys want to meet us? We're going bowling. And he was going to drop everything with me to, so as not to miss on that one opportunity. And so I still today would say, I'm not okay with that. Whether it's our kid or not, it needs to be a yes, yes. If we both committed to something. However, my response was very unhealthy. It wasn't like, well, that's shitty. I'm not okay with that. Let's talk through this. As he was putting his shoes on to leave, I started crying and I started freaking out. And even at the time I knew, I'm like, what is going on with me? So I said to our therapist, okay, something really weird happened. It was not healthy and not normal. And so we did some EMDR, which I've referenced EMDR on the show before. It's an amazing process. And while we were in the process, I had a memory of it's very difficult to explain how our brain works in scenarios like this. Like it's hard to put into words, but you know, I had these images that came into my mind very, very quickly within seconds. The first image was when my dad, I was in sixth grade. My parents did not tell me they were getting a divorce. And my dad walked down the stairs with a suitcase and he walked up to me crying. And he said, I got to go, honey. I have to go, sweetheart. And I said, what do you mean? Where are you going? And he said, I have to leave. Like I'm, I'm moving out. And he cried and he hugged me and walked out the door. That was it. No conversation, nothing. Then the second image that came to mind was when I was 14 and my oldest brother, who was like another dad to me, got married. That's a great thing. But I felt abandoned that, you know, he was marrying this woman and was no longer going to like be there for me, I felt. And then the third thing I saw was when my middle brother, who was also my older brother, the middle child, my my second oldest brother, who I was very close to and felt very safe with in a very chaotic family life, was walking out of our home with his football in his hand and his duffel bag. And he said, I got to go. And I said, what do you mean you have to go? And he goes, I'm leaving. I, I literally cannot handle this anymore. I can't live here anymore. And I was begging him not to leave. I said, do not leave me here, please. And it was my mom and her boyfriend. And the boyfriend was very bizarre and scared me. And he said, I have to go. And so he left me. So here I was having EMDR about a fight my husband and I had about him going to bowl for an hour with our daughter. And those three images came up. So that's what was being triggered. Super fascinating. Yeah, well, and I just thought something I'll throw into the other part of that story. And this is where it gets fascinating to me because the other part of the story was the reason I wanted to go also. And I was adamant, like, I really want to do this, is that I had felt like I'd pushed her away. Uh, for a number of years. And so I guess the point of me sharing that is there's multiple sides and multiple facets, mm-hmm. you know, to situations like this. And, and until you really understand kind of what's going on under the covers, it's easy to dismiss it. It's easy to throw out and say, this person's got a problem. It's their issue as opposed to kind of looking inward. Because to your point, me not going bowling, what would not have been, and it wasn't, I'd end up not going. It was not that big of a deal. But it was it was triggering inside of me because I felt like you were trying to control me. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to do this because I felt like I'd pushed this particular child away, you know. And so it became this like powder cake, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. This is turning into a cool conversation. It's just not going to be what we thought it was going to be. <laughs> Let's give you our five tips on how to have the best marriage for Valentine's Day. Okay, number four. Number four for me. This is still very hard for me. Okay, but just letting him be him. 
I have a podcast called Be You. And I'm like, don't be yourself, DK. <laughs> be like I want you to be. So there's an author, Glennon Doyle. We never agree on what she posts on social media regarding politics. But I swear when I read her most recent book, it was just bizarre how much we have in common. Like I've told you that, TK. Like weird things that other people may say, oh, that's so cool that she wrote that. I'm like, but that's me. Like I have actually said that when my husband takes a nap on the couch and I'm doing something else, I cannot believe he's resting at me. Like what the fuck? How can you just lay there? He's like, very easily. I lay down and I close my eyes. I'm like, how can you just take a nap in the middle of the day? Like, how can you do that? So there are things like that that I read when she would say things like that. I realized in reading that book that I'm not the only one who feels this way, but that it makes me feel safer if you are more like me, even though that's not healthy. And I remember her partner, Abby, saying to her what I was afraid you'd say to me. It's a very masculine and very healthy thing to say. Her wife, Abby, says to her, I don't want to misquote, but something along the lines of, Glennon, you are not the boss of me. I am the boss of me. You're never going to be the boss of me. I'm taking an app because I want to take an app. See, I would say that, but I'm afraid of you. (laughs) (laughs) And you better not ever say that to me, by the way, TK. Uh, no, but it is a very healthy thing to say. And so, again, the points I'm making are never clear and straight. In my roundabout way, what I'm saying with number four is that although it's hard for me, I've recognized that me not letting you be yourself, which is someone who likes to take naps, it may still drive me crazy, but instead I flip the script in my head and I say, he really deserves to rest. I'm jealous of him. The reason it gets triggering when he naps is because I'm jealous because I don't give myself downtime because I feel guilty all the time. And I, I'm jealous that he never feels guilty about anything. So I've, I flipped the script to something positive saying, A, he deserves it. B, it's none of my fucking business. C, he's an adult. And D, I'm only triggered because I wish I could do that. So letting you be yourself. Well, before we move on to the next piece, I, I do have to interject one thing because the letting me be me does create a conflict occasionally when it comes to furniture and me wanting to be comfortable and you wanting to focus on style. For example, I would love to have a big lazy boy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, let's leave that one right there. Okay, so what's yours? Uh, my fourth one. What have you one, done to make our relationship amazing that has nothing to do with me? Uh, my fourth one would be being willing to hire a coach and invest not only financially, because we've invested heavily financially, but also I think more importantly, investing the time uh, that it takes and just being open to, um, you know, seeking outside, you know, help. You know, I think as as men, it's we're taught from a young age to be self reliant and to stuff feelings down and not need to talk about things to people. And you know, when we decided to to hire Steph, once again, that was there's so many pivotal things over the last eight years in my life, but that would be one of them. You know, I've learned a tremendous amount from him, uh, not only from things that he's taught me, but also in, in seeing sort of how he's shown up, you know, and that's the, that's one of the big differences. I know you've talked about in the past difference between a, a therapist and a coach, but, uh, you know, Steph has shared things with me that caused me to go, okay, you know what, that's how I want to show up, you know, in my relationship. And I think, you know, taking the step and saying, I'm willing to hire a coach, I'm willing to invest the money and I'm willing to put the time and the effort into it. Again, for me personally, it's a big thing. I can't say that. I mean, I have, I have friends that sort of operate in this kind of space, if you will, that have hired coaches. But, you know, most people that I know, especially entrepreneurs, they'll hire a coach to help them solve a problem with their business that they don't know how to solve, but they're resistant to hiring a coach, help them sift through all the things and the feelings and the emotions and the the thoughts and ideas that exist in their head. Yeah. I mean, so in our social circle, we don't know anyone who's hired a marriage marriage coach. We know people have gone to marriage counseling or therapy, 
but we don't know anyone who's hired a coach like Steph. Yep. Paid a significant amount of money to commit to a coach. But the other thing is in the com- in the relationships that I have built online, I know it sounds so strange, like are they really friends, right? People I've met one time in person are never in person, but we have a connection and we've created a connection and a relationship through the podcast, through Instagram. We've ended up talking on the phone, et cetera. People who I would consider pretty enlightened, they're doing the work. Like they're really looking at themselves. I still only know a few of them who have hired a coach, like like someone like Steph for their marriage. They've done their own work individually, but they've not done that. So I want to just say that if you're someone listening and likely you are, whose spouse, partner, husband would never do that, please don't think that if if that doesn't happen, then you're never going to get where you need to be, right? It's not common to have a man be willing to do that. And I want to say thank you to you, TK, because we already had an amazing therapist. This guy had two PhDs. He was a teacher of A Course in Miracles. He wasn't just someone doing typical talk therapy. He did EMDR, et cetera. We had him and we had done several personal development courses and you were constantly listening to podcasts and reading books to improve yourself. So you could have very well said, Jill, here's the deal. We are not dropping that much money and we're not spending that much time in committing for six months to some guy that we don't even know just because we hear he's a great coach. We're not doing it. And you said yes almost immediately and then turned around and said yes again. And now on your own have said yes again for another six months with him. And I just want to say thank you to that, like beyond thank you, because I appreciate it so much and I'm so grateful. I also just want to be careful that someone listening doesn't say, well, of course, marriage is great. You've had this amazing coach for a year and a half. My partner would never do that. Even without him, I feel like we both have been so committed that we would have found our way in other ways. But I do think we would have had to hire somebody because I'm a big endorser of people hiring coaches. I think too, you know, what's great about the world that we live in today is that there's so much opportunity to gain this kind of insight and this kind of knowledge you know, again, through podcasts, through books, through YouTube videos, you know, so, so you can do a lot of work leading up to hiring a coach. So if you don't have the, the, the finances, for example, to be able to hire a coach like that, there's a lot of things that you can do to get to that point. But, uh, it, it for me, it was an eye opener. When we hired Steph, I think, you know, we had spent six years working with a therapist and a lot of that was centered around kind of our marriage and it was centered around a, I would say probably more, you you worked with him more individually than I did. And when we came in and we worked with Steph, I was expecting it to kind of be a little bit of the same. In other words, you and I working together. And what I quickly figured out was that it was not that whatsoever. It was us individually working on ourselves and our own shit and our own head trash. you know. And then the more we worked on that, the better our relationship would be. And then we would come together, you know, on a monthly basis and kind of work through things that we were still sort of, sort of in conflict about. But it was an eye opener to me because, which it, it's interesting in hindsight now, I should have known that because everything is top down in my opinion. And I've sort of lived that when it comes to business and, you know, having employees and running a company that everything is top down and it's all about, you know, me, it's my responsibility to make the change. But I don't know that I applied that same thought process and methodology within our marriage, mm-hmm. which is what one of the things that Steph helped me see. Mm-hmm. Great point. Okay. So for me, the next is, I mean, this could sound so obvious and I've said it on other episodes, but I want to say that this applies to all of life. But one thing in our relationship that I've done that I'm proud of and I continue to do, even when I'm being controlling, even when I'm messing up and going back to my autopilot, is that I regularly look at the positive in you and about you and like really look at it and say, thank you, God. I appreciate TK for this. I appreciate this about him. I love this about him. I love this about him. Sometimes I'll just look across the room like last night you know, and we're watching a show and I looked at him and I'm like, I love his profile. Like, I, I, I think you're so handsome and I love your profile. And I, but I focused on it instead of saying, oh yeah, I pro- focused on it. And I'm like, I think my husband's so handsome. And then the second part of that is looking at, and you helped me do this, by the way, 
anything he does that either hurts my feelings or bothers me or irritates me, instead of going to the negative about it, I flip it and say, okay, well, what if I'm wrong? What if the reason he did that isn't because he's managing me, isn't because he's trying to be controlling, isn't because he's selfish, isn't because of whatever, but it's because he loves me. What if the reason he's doing it is because he really is doing the very best he can, not from like a default setting, but from he really is trying. And every time I do that, it puts me back into a positive place. So as much as you think I might seem (laughs) negative or critical, I'm actually thinking positive things about you almost all the time. I appreciate that because that's one of the things that maybe I'm doing it more, I don't know, but uh, or maybe I'm just paying attention to it more. You know, lately you've said a lot more to me, stop managing me, stop managing me. And what do I say back to you almost immediately? I'm not managing. I'm just like, I I tell you constantly that I make it my life's mission to make your life as easy as possible. Like I I really want to do everything I can. That was a big panty drop moment for all the girls listening. (laughs) No, but you can't be married to my husband. I try to do things, whether it's, you know, again, just taking care of stuff, making phone calls, you know, setting appointments, doing whatever to try to make your life as easy as possible. And at, at the same time, that will, that comes across at times that I'm trying to manage you and I'm not trying to manage you. And I think that, again, if you fall into that mode, you quickly shift out. It all goes back to the, the work that you've done. And it's very noticeable on how you are able to shift gears pretty quickly. And the other thing is, besides shifting the, the lens to something positive, like your partner is doing this because it's coming from a good place. Just like TK said earlier, I looked at Jill's response and realized, look, this is her trauma. It's not her. Some of him, quote unquote, managing me really is his own trauma. He just doesn't know it. (laughs) I'm being serious. Some of it isn't just that he's making my life easier. It's sometimes people who are people pleasers. People pleasers, what they're really doing subconsciously is they're controlling your perception of them. They want you to see them in a different way. So they're going to control that by people pleasing you. And another trait sort of a cousin to that is this trait of like managing. It's hard to explain. Not necessarily, it's it's control, but it's not. I would say it's like less harsh and more loving feeling control where they're managing and questioning you because it makes them feel safer. It's a whole different thing. But anyway, so, but but sometimes I look and I get irritated when he's quote unquote managing me and I realize He's just helpful. And other times I realize he, it's it's a subconscious autopilot for him. He he really doesn't mean it the way it feels to me. And then me voicing my feeling of, okay, this feels like you're controlling me, that you're not trusting me. Sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes I need to bite my tongue and not say it. Okay, do you have any more? Uh, the last one I know that's been significant in our relationship, in our relationship, is me looking at the relationship with my parents there's been just a lot of challenges and turmoil from day one with how they've shown up regarding, you know, our marriage, our blended family, a long story behind that. But I definitely, I struggled a lot, a lot internally with this because I I, I now know that I was very enmeshed and they were enmeshed with me. And I held my parents up on this pedestal and it really wasn't until I was, you know, honestly, 42 years old when I told him I was going to get a divorce. That was the first time that that I had ever had what I felt like was an adult to adult conversation with my parents. And and what I, what do you mean by that? Because it was the first time you made an adult decision that they wouldn't agree with that you were open with them about. Uh, it was the first time that I went and had a conversation with them where I felt like I was on the same level. If that makes sense. And I, and I share this because there certainly are, are, are men out there that don't have this feeling towards their parents, but there are men out there that do. I held my parents on such a high pedestal growing up that that continued into adulthood. And me being critical of them felt like I was being extremely disrespectful. And by critical, I mean by looking at them as just human beings. And, and looking at them for not only their gifts, but also their flaws. And I felt like me looking at their flaws was me being extremely disrespectful mm-hmm. uh, to them. And I struggled with that a lot. And that spilled over into our marriage 
a lot. Mm -hmm. And would you say too, not just looking at their flaws, but doing anything that wasn't the way they do things felt disrespectful. Because that to me was the the issue for me is that you couldn't just be an adult and do what you wanted to do, even though you were 45, 46 years old. If it went against what they believed or what they did, you were very uncomfortable. I think it was that. And it was also that, that those things were very ingrained in me. And let's, you know, let's call a spade a spade. I definitely have and had narcissistic tendencies. And so I wanted things to be the way that I wanted things to be. And those things were going to be the way that I was raised, if that makes sense. And so me going against those, I think was not only an internal conflict, but it was also a conflict on on how, again, I, I go back to the only way to phrase it was me being disrespectful to them. And so me, and also then me not wanting to disappoint them. You know, I, I grew up in a house where not a lot of emotion was was shown. And so I think that it's interesting because I'll relate it to my kids because the same thing I think holds true. It's just it's just a pattern that's been repeated. But you know, with my kids, I was raising them in the same sense that you know, you've commented on this before, that I could say one thing to either one of my biological kids and they would start crying, you know, almost immediately. Because they had such a fear of disappointing me. Oh, yeah. They weren't even really in like, quote unquote, big trouble. It was really just like you'd start to ask them about something that they did that they shouldn't have done. And it wasn't even a big thing. And they would immediately, yes, immediately, I mean, genuine tears, crying and so upset at the idea of possibly disappointing you. Right. And that's and that's the same way that I felt, obviously, growing up. But again, that 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 continued into adulthood. It wouldn't turn into tears but it would turn into this sort of subconscious fear, subconscious feeling that I didn't want to disappoint them. And so I found myself in in a pretty big conflict at the beginning stages of our marriage and for several years after we were married in that I didn't want to disappoint you and I didn't want to disappoint them and I was a people pleaser. And so it was difficult to come to that, I guess, realization and conclusion that you know, my parents are just people. And I look now at our kids, and I'll say specifically my two biological kids, because they've grown up with me sort of me being my old way and me being my new way. And I'm trying to make it a point that I want them to be able to feel like they can share the things that that I not only did well, but the things that that I didn't do well. And I, I sent a text, I think I told you this maybe, but I, I'd sent a message. Thomas had sent me something on Instagram and I sent a message back. It was something about like fathers. And I said, the best way that you can honor me as your father is taking what you perceive to be all the good things, you know, of how I was when you were growing up and and pass those on. But then equally, if not more important, taking the things that you think that I didn't do well and changing it. And mm-hmm. changing those moving forward, that to me is would be a sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You know, to to see our kids do you know do that because that's how uh, changes get affected for generations to come if we have that kind of a mindset. Oh, for sure. I mean, for Thomas to even get to the point where he can even say out loud anything you didn't do perfectly, that will be. I mean, there's not that many things yeah, I didn't right. do perfectly. <laughs> <They> actually, <are. laughs> you're a great dad. That's so good. Well, we went off on a tangent. I didn't expect to go on. We we can do episodes about that. And if someone's a regular listener, they've heard me openly share, you know, love and respect for your parents and truth about that whole uh, situation where if I could add, are you kids me adding my perspective on that? Yeah, that's right. Fine. So only because I, I do think if someone's listening and they're like at the edge of their seat and they're like, wait, I I'm, have this issue with my spouse where I feel like they're like enmeshed you know, where that my spouse is still a little girl or a little boy with their parent. Because that's my way of saying it is that I was married to a grown man who acted like a child when it came to his his parents. Like so afraid to disappoint them, so afraid to upset them. Because when someone does that, this is not my opinion, this is where my training comes in as a trauma-informed coach, that, that the people-pleasing is, it's, it's simply just also a protection mechanism where because what, what will happen? Like if your parents do disapprove and you do disappoint them, what does that mean? 
like what's the deep rooted fear? The deep rooted right. subconscious fear is that. Oh, I'm, are you, are you asking? Are, I, I wasn't going to, but I'll ask you. Like, what, what do you know? What the deep rooted subconscious fear is? At the end of the day, the deep rooted subconscious fear is if I do something opposite of what they approve of, or I tell them how I feel about anything, if it doesn't make them look amazing, the deep rooted subconscious fear is that the that they won't. Are you saying that they wouldn't love me or that I'd be a disappointment to them? Yeah, underneath disappointment is is love. It's just I'm not worthy unless I have that, right? My self-worth comes from their approval. But if I have self-worth as a sovereign being on my own, as a grown man, I, I love my parents and I honor and respect them. And if I do disappoint them, it's okay. Because I right. know that I don't need their approval to be loved and be worthy. But you needed their approval to feel loved and worthy. That's why it was so important to you. Well, and that's it's not, not like they were these awful, domineering people, which I think they probably think that I think that I don't think that at all. It's just that you you were raised in an environment where you were so dependent upon their approval that if you didn't have that, it was scary to you. And so if you disappointed them, if you did did anything that they didn't approve of, or you had an opinion that was different from theirs, or you know, you chose to to raise your family differently than they raised their family, which is what you did with me. And that's why it was easy for me to be the scapegoat, right? Jill came along and changed everything. It's because of her that he's so different. Well, on one hand, maybe yes, right? Our relationship allowed you and I both to go in and do some deep healing and discover who we really were. It's just that the really you, the, the you that really came out was one that was very, very different from the you that they knew. And so they found that scary, which comes across as offensive. Yeah. And I would say too that that feeling of not wanting to disappoint and being worried that I'm not going to get the love back plays into our relationship too, because that's one of the things that I struggle with with us is, is I don't want to disappoint you. I say that all the time that, mm-hmm. that, that, and I show up that way and it could be the simplest of things saying, no, I don't want to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and me sort of standing my ground. I've had to, and this is, it's definitely something I, I continue to work on because uh, the last thing that I want to do is disappoint you when the fact is there are things that just come up in life, yeah. you know, that I want to make a decision that I know is going to disappoint you. And many times I've said to you, right, it's okay. And it's okay. It's yeah. not your responsibility to not disappoint me. It's it's fine. And and I saw that with your biological children, right? You never want to tell them no, and you never want to hold them accountable or ever have any kind of consequence because you even said, well, I don't want them to be upset. Yeah. Right. All this is so interesting. It is very interesting. Human behavior is fascinating. And there's no judgment on any of this, especially I want to say out of respect for his parents, no judgment towards them at all. Like they're great people and they were great parents. I have done all kinds of things with my kids that they could be on a podcast, you know, in five years talking about how I fucked them up, right? Because we all do it. We all project our stuff. But there are people, especially of that generation, who aren't willing to admit that. They will not admit that anything they did had any kind of effect on their children that wasn't positive because maybe they also need approval. Maybe for them, they don't feel worthy unless they were, you know, the perfect parent. And that, that's the thing that I think is is most interesting when it comes to the psychology of people is that there's so much that happens in the subconscious that just gets passed down and passed down and passed down. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a book that I've referenced many times. It didn't start with you. That to me was fascinating. I just, I just, I'm an audiobook listener. I just listened to it maybe like a year ago and sought out the author and actually had a two hour session, you know, with the author. And it was super interesting, you know, to me. And, and again, looking upward, everybody is a child of somebody, right? Of parents. And most people are, are parents to children. And to me, it's very interesting looking upward and seeing what some of those patterns would be. Mm-hmm. And then looking downward and being honest and looking at your kids, especially as they get older and see what kind of patterns they might be repeating, mm-hmm. you know, along the way. And again, we all do the best we know how to do. Yes, you know? with so, the tools we have at the time. Absolutely. And so I don't fault anybody that came before me for anything that they did or showed up in, in whatever ways. And I also don't fault myself, you know, when I look down at our kids, 
Because to your I point, do. I was doing the best I knew how to do. I do. Because I love mom guilt. <laughs> I feel guilty constantly. I was just thinking about something this morning. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. <sighs> so if you're someone in a relationship um, or going with this theme, maybe you're calling in your partner. It is such a gift to your future partner or your partner that you have that you take an honest look at your relationship with your parents and the effect it has on you and the effect, the effect it has on your relationship. And you can only take an honest look at that if you bring an, an expert in and you really dig in. It's 100% worth your time. You'll find a lot of beauty and a lot of great things as well. Um, but I want to say thank you so much for you doing that. Because for me, it was obvious because I had this chaotic, nothing but turmoil, painful, traumatic childhood. So I was always looking at everything with my parents. And you came from this like perfect childhood. And so for you to look at that and be willing to say, okay, hold on a minute. It looked perfect on the outside. I didn't have the trauma that you had, but you know what? There is some stuff there. I, I really commend you for that. Yeah, I think that it was, it was, somebody recommended a book that I listened to that was pivotal for me because I started realizing, okay, that's me, that's me, that's me. Because I could I could list a whole bunch of things that, I have carried on from my upbringing that have absolutely played into my success in life. Um, but I was never, I just didn't even know there were things that were affecting me, again, maybe from a negative perspective, we'll say it that way, and things that I should change. And me being willing to step back and go, okay, hang on a second, let me let me look at this, to your point, from an outsider's perspective, with a a non-biased lens and and kind of dig into those things. It took a while. I mean, you would you would agree with this. It took me several years to get to that point, you know, and being willing to do that. But it's been an eye opener. And I think that it's not only been an eye opener for me to look at myself and sort of see where some of this stuff came from, but then it's also been a, a huge gift again to the generation down from me, right? Because it's caused me to go, you know what? I, I do think I've done a lot of things really, really well and uh, that are super good. But I also know that there are things that I'm not even aware of that I have subconsciously passed on to to my kids. And I want them to be able to look at those. And, and I want them to feel like they could look at those and be honest about them and know that I'm not going to be offended by that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I guess we have a theme here. So with your list and with my list, it's essentially... Look at your own shit, clean up your own backyard, take a look in the mirror, heal yourself, love yourself, and keep digging so that you can have the best relationship possible. I agree. Awesome. Happy Thanks Valentine's for having Day. me on. Yeah, I love you. And I love you too. You're my best friend. Oh, you're my best friend too. You gonna make out now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I will be back with you next week. And Message me if you would like us to continue and have a series. I think we probably should do that, but let me know your thoughts. And if you enjoyed any of this, please send a screenshot or a link or something to a friend, put it on social media. And don't forget ratings and reviews mean a lot, not just to my heart and to my ego, but to the podcast and this work that we're putting out into the world. So if you're on iTunes, please leave a five-star rating if you believe it was five-star and an honest review. And I would appreciate that so much. So as we always say, what do I say, TK? Oh, now you put me on the spot. Breathe. Yeah, love yourself. Love yourself. And be you. And surrender. Oh, darn it. (laughs) 